0: All right, we are in the gospel of John. We've been studying John, um, the outline. If you pull it out, it has the scripture on it, and you can follow right along. We are on message 14. I wanted to ask you, are you still committed to John with me? Uh, It's the 14th message, but we're going to like, 42, I think, something like that. So we got a long way to go. So don't give give up. Uh, Stay with me. Keep reading the gospel. Keep studying uh, the passage every week. God has powerful things to say to us uh, through this scripture. What an opportunity for as a church, uh, for us to be able to to study this together. Now, we're in John 6 uh, today, uh, the lesson of the loaves. Uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000 from John 6, uh, 1 through 15. Uh, besides the miraculous resurrection of Jesus, there's really only one miracle of Jesus Christ recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's the feeding of the 5,000. And so today we look at this incredible miracle. Obviously, if God has all four Gospel writers record it, let's not miss it. Uh, It deserves our our full attention. So this miracle proclaims that Jesus meets our basic needs. Jesus sits down at a well with a woman and he says, uh, I'm living water. He divides some loaves and fishes And he says, I am the bread of life, bread and water, basic, simple things. But Jesus meets those needs. Jesus is willing to do that. Jesus wants to do that. He is able uh, to meet uh, our needs. Now, now when you think about God in your life, uh, maybe you wonder with all the needs that you have, all the circumstances that happen in your life, maybe you would question, I wonder how God feels about this. How is God, what is his level of interest in what's going on in my life? Don't you feel like that sometimes? That, oh yeah, God's, God's interested in Tom, but Mandy thinks, oh, he probably doesn't really care about what's going on with me. You know, we're like that. Uh, we have that, that, kind of spiritual esteem that makes us feel like we wonder if God really uh, cares about us. What we learn from the scriptures is that God cares about the needs that are going on around us. You notice the, how God acts toward people. Um, you know, some, some in the Bible that we see were hypocritical or basically insincere kind of cold and aloof from God, um, that's what they they got from Christ. But if we come to him hungry, We come to seek his mercy. Uh, He comes and finds us with generosity and kindness. To the frightened, he's friendly, and to the poor in spirit, he's forgiving. To the ignorant, he's considerate. To the weak, he's gentle. To the stranger, he's hospitable. This is our God. You know him, right? He's the creator, the all knowing, all present, all powerful, omniscient God of the universe. God who has power to create anything from nothing. God who has the power to deliver. He has creative power beyond our comprehension. God speaks and things happen. His resurrection power is immeasurably great. His power sustains the world. He has power over death. And the Bible says, no one can challenge what God does. He reveals himself as the almighty God. God is everywhere and not one of us can escape him. There is no task too big or too small from him. You cannot hide from him. God controls time and see, you're with me, right? You're not just falling asleep, right? God can uh, powerfully delivers his people throughout time. God has dominion over the affairs of people. This God, our God, he controls nature for his own purposes. He chooses us to be able to be made in the likeness of Christ. He has an eternal purpose that he offers his wisdom. He raises and removes rulers. He has a plan for his people and he will carry it out. He chooses people to save and to purify. He is the sovereign Lord who has dominion over all things. His Holiness is unique. His holiness is the standard for believers behavior. His presence is is pure. No one else is like him. He is the truth. He follows through in his promises. His words are true and he is completely righteous. God's word is truth. He is full of grace and mercy. He guides believers into all truth and we find true freedom in him because he is the truth. He is righteousness absolute. He rules in righteousness. He's righteous in everything that he does. All of his ways God alone is the judge and he judges all people with justice he loves he preserves his people he loves his people he is faithful to us nothing can separate us from his love to the enemies and to the wicked he comes to all of us he forgives us of our sins when we sincerely confess them. God who listens to us our cries for mercy mercy to sinners God cares he knows he deserves to be filled with praise and glory God never changes he is Consistent throughout all time. God is good all the time. He doesn't lie. He is true to his word. He is never ending. And throughout all the universe, things will change. But God will never change. This is our God. Now, I don't know, but my mind is just blown. This God cares about bread and water. Wow. Wow. This amazing God cares about our basic needs. Right? I I thought something would have happened. I mean, you just think, see, we we take this majestic, awesome, we just take him for granted, man. We've been going to church way too long. But man, he is the almighty, omniscient, ever present God, all powerful. And he cares about your basic needs. Whew, we get to go home right now, man. Jeez. That's what, this, that's what this is about right here. Look at the scripture uh, as we look at this together. Um, he says this story. Uh, sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover uh, was near. Now, what what you you notice right here is that uh, immediately you see that the Bible gives us kind of a context. Uh, This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, other gospels like Luke and Mark, to some extent, they like to be chronological. And so if you want to know all that happened from the healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda to this healing right here, you have to look at Luke. Uh, you can see it in um, in Luke six uh, through nine or in Mark uh, three through six. And you can kind of see other things that were happening, but that's not really what John's purpose is. John's purpose is to show us signs. And so he gives us these ideas about the sea of Galilee and the great crowd that was following him and the signs that Jesus was doing They're on this, they're near this mountainside and he sits down with the disciples and he tells us that the Jewish Passover feast is near. So he's kind of giving us like the setting kind of the background of what's happening. Here. Now, notice uh, some of the things that we can know from multiple gospels about what's happening in this, this moment. Uh, first, the disciples get in the, into this boat and they cross over to the other side. Uh, they're tired, they're worn out, they've been involved in doing some preaching, uh, we're told, and Jesus is facing some things. In another gospel, we find out that they just heard that John the Baptist had been murdered, he had been beheaded. And so John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. You know, he's overwhelmed uh, by that loss. And he's tired from all the things that he's been doing with the people. And so um, we recognize they're, going, they're trying to get away. They're trying to... Uh, and so then in the end, it tells us that the Passover feast is happening. Remember I told you, it just multiplies by about five times or more um, what is happening there. So people are gathering. There are lots of people around, and they come to this place at the Sea of Galilee. And so... Um, now notice, now the Sea of Galilee, if you've ever seen it, you can, you can see across the Sea of Galilee from one side to the other. Like, it's not like the ocean. Uh, it's like a big lake. Uh, so if Jesus was in a boat out in the middle, people would have been able to see him and know that that was, if they had some idea that that was him. So you notice what ha- what's happening. People were on one side and they realized Jesus is going to the other side. So what'd they do? They walked around the lake. Because he might do something great over there. He's going to do some teaching. Maybe we would see a miracle. And can't you imagine? They're picking up people as they go. You know, they're gathering. For, and so they're going to be there on this other side uh, of, the, of, the, of the lake there. Now, chapter 6, verse 5. says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. Uh, I wonder if he went. <sighs> but. He didn't push him aside. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Wow. Wow. Uh, So, what's happening here is that you have this powerful miracle that is happening, and this powerful miracle began as an unwelcome interruption, an unwelcome interruption. Uh, You know, we all have interruptions in our life, and this story reminds us that sometimes interruptions are appointments with God. You know, it's one of the principles of my life. My life is pretty much interruptions, Uh, but I've decided a long time ago, that most, if not all of those, are appointments sent by God uh, to us. It's a great way to think about it. It's one of the lessons of this. Uh, the Bible over and over again tells us um, things like that, of how this miracle works. Now, uh, the key to understanding this miracle is to look for the lesson in the loaves. What is the lesson here in the feeding of the 5,000? So I'll give you several. Number one. The the first one is, uh, we'll call this the yardstick lesson, the yardstick lesson. Now that is asking the question of how, how are we going to measure things? This miracle teaches us not to measure our problems or our challenges according to our own ability. Am I going to measure what is happening in my life by my ability or by God's ability? Jesus sees everybody walking, and he's going to spend some time teaching there. And so he sees this great crowd, and he looks over at Philip, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples. And he says, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Now, notice we got this impossible circumstance. Now, we call this the feeding of the 5,000, and the Bible says that 5,000 men were there. Well, I can guarantee you if there was a bunch of men there, there was a bunch of women with them also, and probably some children. Most people believe that there's at least 10,000 could be more than that, uh, that were there. So what a crowd, uh, that's coming around. And so we're going to think about this huge crowd. And he says, where are we going to find something for these people to eat? Notice Jesus brings this up. You know, sometimes we look at impossible situations in our life and we look at our abilities and it's depressing, right? We look at what we are able to do, what our resources are. And, and we looking at it in our own ability, we get discouraged. So we look at the problem, we kind of size it up and maybe we even panic. Um, We see our abilities and they don't match up. We got a big problem. Now this miracle teaches us that you and I as Christians are not to measure our problems on the basis of our own ability. It teaches us that God is going to send us in our lives purposely into problems and circumstances and difficulties and opportunities that don't measure up to your abilities. So when you get in that situation and things happen and you say, why am I, why is this happening? Well, he's trying to show you the difference between what you can do and what he can do. He's trying to help you look and measure things differently. The miracle teaches us that God helped. Don't you know that Jesus loves impossible situations? I see it over and over again. Uh, I notice that Jesus loves impossible circumstances. We have a virgin birth. Mary said, nothing will be impossible with God. He loves sitting down by a well with a woman that no one else could reach out to, and he reaches out to her. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw him uh, see this man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And now we see him with this crowd of people that have no food. And later in John 11, we're going to see him raise Lazarus from the grave after he had been dead for four days God loves impossible circumstances just nod your head yes he does Uh, and if he can work in new testament times which we still in new testament times right they're not writing it down the same way but we're still living it out uh, in our in our lives so uh today to really get the impact of this message I thought maybe you could write down or kind of code it maybe uh what is your impossible circumstance what is it that you've been dealing with that seems impossible to you? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a medical situation, or maybe it's a relationship issue, or maybe it's a, the salvation of somebody in your life, or maybe it's a financial need, or whatever it might be. So what you're thinking about today is not bread, not Food, like the disciples were worrying about, but the impossible circumstance that you're looking at in your life. So there's a blank right there. My impossible uh, situation. Because aren't we convinced? Aren't we convinced that the words omnipotent and impossible, they cannot go in the same dictionary or the same vocabulary? I mean, how could you say something impossible by what I spent five minutes just ranting about just a few minutes ago? He is an amazing God. And so when you put an omnipotent God in an impossible situation, see, what, why does Jesus love the impossible? Because we need tests in our lives. We need tests that help us kind of fill in the blanks. Um, some of you are teachers. You know why teachers give tests? I know some of you think that they give tests to figure out what you don't know. The teachers know that they give tests to figure out what you do know, right? Right? I got no help today on that one. All right. Okay. Uh, The reason he sends tests into our lives is not to discourage us, to make us feel like we can't do anything. I mean, he is stretching us. I mean, if he didn't stretch you, you wouldn't grow at all. You would just kind of just, you know, hang out and just do your thing. But he is inviting us to trust him. You know, he puts us in impossible situations to stretch our underdeveloped faith. God is at work deepening your faith. If he if if he looks I mean if it looks impossible to me and God says he can do it and if I watch him do it then that stretches my faith and I believe that he is able. Uh, It also, he puts us in impossible situations to strengthen our eternal hope. You know, when I face something that's impossible in this world, then I realize that God has something greater. He has great hope uh, for me to strengthen our eternal hope. The impossible situation, it stretched my faith. It deepens my hope. And the last one is he puts us in impossible circumstances to show us his incredible love. Those three things. Paul said, faith, hope, and love. These three abide, but the greatest of these is love. That's the reason God puts us in those situations. It's impossible. Uh, you know, the impossibilities don't bother God. They bother you, but they don't bother God. Uh, they bother us. Uh, can you imagine uh, Jesus Christ, when he sees all these people coming, and you know, he does not, the scripture does not record him going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? He is not blown away. He's not scared. He's not overwhelmed. Uh, he uh, He didn't worry because the Bible says he already had in mind what he was going to do. Wow. You know, when God puts you in an impossible circumstance, he already has in mind what he's going to do. He puts us to the test. Notice that Jesus allowed these disciples to kind of struggle with it for a few moments. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, he could have made it out of nothing. Couldn't he? Uh, hey, he could have just done it any way he wanted to, but he decided that he would involve Philip. First of all, Philip, where should we buy enough bread for these people? Uh, and he doesn't give him the answer right away. He causes him to struggle with it. You know, he lets you and I do that as well. I know you hate that. About him, but he stretches you by causing you to struggle. He's wondering what is your mindset as you face impossible circumstances. Where should we buy peop- uh, food for these people? He asked to test him. What's Philip's answer? Philip's answer was uh, more than a half a year' wages. Some translate it eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to buy enough bread for each of these to have a bite. Now notice, Jesus asked one question, and Philip answered a different question. That is so like us, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus asked the question, and Philip doesn't answer his question. He comes up with a doubtful, excuse-filled question. Jesus says, where are we going to buy bread? Where are we going to get enough for these people? And Philip's answer is, how much would it cost to buy that bread? He doesn't answer the question. Uh, You know what the right answer is? This is so exciting. You know what he should have said? Philip should have said, well, I was in Cana when they ran out of wine. So I bet the right answer is you, Jesus. I bet you're going to do something about this. That would have been the great answer. I know. I saw you when we were... Same place, when we were at Cana, and that boy was sick and about to die, and he was 20 miles away, and you heal I mean, if you can do that, you can certainly take care of these people. That would have been the right answer, wouldn't it? I'm trying to help you here, Uh, thinking about the right answer. Philip says, there are no stores around here. I mean, they didn't build a McDonald's here yet. I mean, come on, where is Casey's when you need it? I mean, good grief. Uh, There's no place around here like that. But instead, Philip says, I have no idea. We don't have enough money. We can't do it. That ever happen to you? God asks you a tough question and you give him an excuse field question or answer. When God asks you a tough question, maybe the answer might be in the question itself. It's not what store are we going to buy it at? But who's going to provide this for us? Where are we going to go? You know, God asked Moses and Abraham and Paul uh, tough questions. And many times uh, he asked us tough questions. Maybe he asked you a tough question as a parent or a tough question about a relationship that you're in or about a call to ministry or a work that God wants to do uh, through you. Um, But we have to understand what Jesus is asking. Jesus, uh, we start worrying about what it's going to cost. How are we going to do that? where am I going to live? What's going to happen with that? And and we get all panicky. And and Jesus just said, this is where faith starts. I want you to trust me. You know, when you and I learn the question, learn this lesson about how to measure things, it dramatically lowers the stress of your life. Come on. It it reduces the anxiety. If I can stop looking at my circumstances in relationship to my own abilities, if there's something that I'm worried about and I'm thinking about it every day and every night, am I measuring it by my abilities alone? If that's where you are, that's a source of anxiety. We're not built to handle things like that in our own abilities. So in in this parable, we we see it happening that he's uh, asking them these questions. Now, John 6, verse 8 and 9, story goes on. Another of his disciples, here's the second one, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Lesson number two. The lesson we learn here from Andrew, is the lesson of the scales. We had the lesson of the yardstick. How do we measure? The lesson of the scales is how do we weigh things? How do we weigh the problems in our life? How do we weigh opportunities that are laid out before us? So this story teaches us that little in the hands of Jesus becomes, somebody say it, much Little is much when God is in it. The feeding of the 5,000. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. It's interesting to think about Philip and Andrew here. They have two totally different perspectives about this problem, but they both decided it's impossible. Philip looks at the problem. He says it's impossible because it would take too much. It would take too much too much. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough wages. We couldn't buy even a bite for every person to eat. This would take too much. Andrew looks at the very same problem, and he's got this little boy with him, and he's got a lunch, and he says, it's impossible because we have too little. One said, it's too much. One said, it's too little. You know, you can look at every problem that you have from every human angle possible and still not see it God's way. I mean, a lot of times we say, uh, I I got a lot of human advice. I got uh, some different ideas here, and I look at it from all the different angles. But they looked at it from every angle that they could come up with, but they couldn't see what Jesus wanted to do. They forgot to look at it from God's angle. They forgot to look at it. Philip looked at the crowd, not at the Christ. Andrew looked at the loaves, but not at the Lord. And they both missed the lesson of the loaves. Andrew, very interesting guy here. Um, He's like us. I mean, he fell one sentence short, didn't he? One sentence short. I mean, he brings this boy to Jesus. Um, He says, here's a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. You know, if he had just put a period right there, here's this boy. He's got a little lunch. Let's see what Jesus is going to do. But he doesn't say that. He says, how far could this go? How many could this feed? What good could happen from there? Uh, See, he's excusing God's power before he even gave God a chance to do anything. Come on kind of making excuses for, you know, Jesus uh, sort of sets all that aside, and uh, his miracle is going to give incredible answers to Philip, to Andrew, and to us. To both, uh, to one he says, uh, too much. The other one says, too little. Uh, To Philip, he says, to the one who thinks he has too much, it's going to take too much, he is clearly going to work this miracle, and he's saying, no need is too great for God no need is too, would you just say that out loud? No need is too great for God. That's what he's trying to show Philip. Philip's just like you. you got that thing written on your little blank, or you're thinking something, some impossibility that happens in your life, and you think it is too big uh, for God. Um, Philip, it learns there that nothing is too big. For Jesus, and then he looks at Andrew, and there's the the, uh, the other question. Uh, see, the, the the questions here are: um, What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? That was Philip's problem. That might be your problem. What have you decided in your life is too big for God? Where you've decided that this can't be worked out? I've been carrying I've been carrying this thing so long, for months, for uh, for years, maybe. It's too big for God. So I quit asking him about it to Andrew. Andrew's idea was uh, he didn't have enough. What have I decided is not enough for God to work with? I mean, maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe, um, I mean, do do you ever, do you ever get that point in your life where you say, when I get X, then I'm going to do Y. When I get this, then I'm going to do this in my life Uh, like when you get more time then you're going to be more involved in serving god or when i get more energy i'll spend more time with my kids or when i get more support then i'll be a better husband or wife or when i get more money then i'll give more i got a little secret for you i'm gonna say it really loud you will never have enough you will never have enough. You will never get to the place where you say, oh, okay, I got plenty now, therefore I'm going to, and then you finish that. You know, we, we, we live in a limited world. We live in a limited world. We will never have enough where we feel like you will never have enough energy. You will never have enough, enough personal resources. The lesson of the Bible over and over and over and over again is when you give your little, you watch what God does with what you have. Woo! That's the lesson. Moses came to God, and he says, God, I can't do it. I can't talk. I don't have enough. God said, start with what you have, Moses. To Jeremiah, God comes and says, "Uh, this is what I want to do through you. And Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I don't have enough. Start with what you have, Jeremiah. This little boy comes to Jesus with Andrew, and he says, I have five loaves and two fish. What could that do? You start with what you have, and you watch what God can do. He's incredible, he's awesome, he's powerful. I don't have time to do that rant again. Um, he (laughs) He is our God. It's a miracle, and it's a parable. It's a lesson from the loaves. See, it shows a biblical pattern of how God takes little and makes much. You have to understand the pattern how God works, how God thinks about things. Um, the, the story of Gideon is one of the patterns. The pattern of the life of Gideon is that he had this huge army, uh, and he had this army, and God said, cut it down, right? Cut it down to 300. Why? Because he wants to show that what he can do through a little. I mean, it, it happened to David and Goliath. Remember that story? I mean, David comes along. He's got this huge army on both sides. He's got Goliath coming out. And here's this little boy. You know what he had? A sling and a rock. It's like bread and fish. Didn't have hardly anything. Uh, and God works through a sling and a rock. You see the pattern? Uh, I gave you some ideas here. Um, wh- how does God work in this? First, God reduces our resources. I don't like that. R- right? He reduces the resources because he's showing. I mean, it could be financial or energy or spirituality. He just reduces the the resources. This little boy has a few fish, very little. God uses small beginnings. Why? Because he doesn't want you or anybody out there to mistake who did the miracle. He doesn't want you to take credit for it. He's not worried about how much you have in your bank account. He reduces it down so there's no doubt that God did it, that God did the miracle. He reduces the resources. He magnifies the need. Remember earlier when I said, uh, who came up with this idea to begin with? Who's the first one to mention the food? It's Jesus. Why didn't he just be quiet about it? You know, I think he could have just come up and said, hey, I'm here to save the world. I'm here to die on a cross. Get your own lunch. (laughs) Right? I mean, you could surely handle that one, right? I mean, come on. But what does he do? He brings it up. Like he wants us to realize that he has this magnificent mission, but he cares about your basic needs. He magnifies the need. He goes around. I mean, Andrew, here's what he said. Andrew's walking around. He must have been, right? Who's got some food? Who brought some lunch? I mean, they, they, there was very little out there, and here he comes. Um, see, what has to happen in God's pattern here is that someone trusts God with the little that they have. Somebody has to trust God with the little that they have. Um, You know, sometimes people, I bet bet some people in the crowd laughed at five loaves and two fish, don't you? People laugh when you say, I'm going to trust God. And they'll say, you don't have enough. That's not going to happen. Why are you even praying about that miracle? But we recognize, I mean, I wonder if people didn't laugh at him. I mean, he's got like, he's got a few little sardine sandwiches. You know, it had to be just something, it had to be just something pitiful, right? And look what Jesus did. In case of this little boy, I wish I knew this boy's name, don't you? That, he's, one, he's on my list for heaven, you know. He might be running the fish shop or something. I don't know uh, when, he, when we get there. Uh, but that's how God works. He works through nameless people, unknown actions. He does great things through us when nobody's looking around or paying attention. He takes the little that we have, nameless people, untold stories, all for the glory of God. I mean, someone who trusts God with what little that they have, and then the last. God uses the little we have to show how great he is. He uses our little to show how awesome he is. He does not discard it, throw it to the side, push it away. He uses what he's given. That's the miraculous thing. You know, that little boy could not go home and say, man, you won't believe what I did today. Woo. He knew that that lunch could not take care of this crowd. God used it. Last verse 10 says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down about 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish when they had When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, you remember we started with one bite, right? How could we get as much as they wanted? And then he said, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled not one basket to give back to the boy. They filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. We sort of say, "Wow, right? Wow, wow! Those little fish. Uh, th- this whole picture. The ha- he has them sit down. Uh, it's a grassy hillside, probably in the springtime. The grass is all green. Five thousand, probably at least ten thousand. Uh, they're seated there, like gathering at a table, and and, and now they're anticipating. Um, they're anticipating that God is going to do something here. Uh, you know, if you start to pray." You should anticipate that God is going to work. You know, if you're praying for it not if you're praying for it to rain, you better roll your windows up, right? Right, we have a little faith. If you're recognizing how how do you have this need met? How do we uh, how's this going to work out? You're anticipating that God is going That's what faith. You know why we don't anticipate? We we think we might get disappointed. Right? I mean if you hang around me, uh, I got over that, man. I got over that. Uh, you know, because there, there are times that I might be disappointed because I had a certain thing in mind that I wanted to happen. But he's going to teach me through that disappointment. But I'm certainly going to ask. You know, I'm not going to make up excuses about why God wouldn't do that. I'm not going to try to let him off the hook. I'm going to ask him because I want to not only anticipate it, but participate in it. That's what had to be so amazing. These guys got a chance to participate in what God was doing. I mean, I wonder how they felt when Jesus started praying for five loaves and two fish. I mean, I'm sure they had to have one eye open saying, what is he doing? What is going to happen here? But then the miracle started, and the miracle started as he distributed to them. Mark tells us that as he began to break the loaves into pieces, he gave some of them loaves and fish to each of his disciples to place before the people. He worked this miracle through the hands of the disciples. He multiplied the bread, and he worked through it with incredible power. Uh, Just absolutely amazing. They anticipated, and then they participated in it. Last point, lesson number three. We'll call this one the spreadsheet lesson, the yardstick lesson, and the um, scales lesson, and now the spreadsheet lesson. Spreadsheet lesson is how do we calculate things. Here's the lesson. Every encounter with a problem or challenge can bring an increase, can bring an increase. It's a faithful father, a faithful God uh, that is in our lives, and he comes to help to increase our faith, and he takes our impossible problem. Here's the deal. Here's the formula. An impossible problem plus an omnipotent God, all-powerful God, equals a certain increase. We saw it here with, with the 12. Now, after this was over, the people saw the sign that Jesus performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself to a mountain alone. Uh, they didn't get it. You know, they wanted to make him king. The disciples later, we see in the scripture in another place that uh, that they are out on a boat and they're fearful and uncertain and they had seen what Jesus did and they still didn't believe that Jesus was going to take care of their needs. So could I ask you a few questions? Question number one, these are not on your outline, but just questions from this message today. Number one, do you believe that Jesus can meet your basic needs? Do you really believe that? Secondly, do you allow Jesus to meet your basic needs? Do you allow it? That's a a different question, isn't it? Not just do I believe it in church on Sunday, but when I'm... Because you're all facing things or will be facing things shortly that are basic needs in your life, might have nothing to do with food, but things that are worrying you and causing you to struggle... Uh, What have you decided? These were our two questions earlier. What have you decided is too big for God to accomplish in your life? What is happening that seems too big for him to accomplish that? He's trying to stretch your faith. And what have you decided is not enough? What have you decided is not enough for God to work with? Because you see, all of us are encouraged to say, I will give Jesus what I have. I will give Jesus what I have. Help me. I will give Jesus what I have. Louder. I will give Jesus what I have. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that we're simply talking about time. Should you give time to, your time? To, sure. How about money? See, if if you guys were making a list in your mind, you might have thought, I will give all that I have to Jesus. You're thinking about my time and my service. I'm not just talking about that. Whatever you got, give to him. You know, sometimes you got to give him that stuff you've been carrying around for a long time. Those hurt feelings that you have. You give that to God and watch him work. You know, grief that we carry around, hardship, difficulties, whatever it all. I didn't want you just to think kind of the positive, the simple stuff, the hard stuff. He's asking you, will you give me that and watch me work? Somebody said one time, well, I don't have anything to give God. Well, I said, well, give him that. You give him whatever you have. And you say, I give all I have. To Jesus, say it again. I will give all I have to Jesus. I don't know how much longer I'm gonna live. If I live one more year, that's three sixty-five. My plan is to live forty more, so that's twenty thousand six hundred days. I'd be eighty-seven. That's a good one. Um, It would it would be good for me to take the lesson of the loaves into the next twenty thousand six hundred days that I never forget. The almighty God wants to meet my basic needs. He cares about all those things that you worry and struggle about. What if you lived all the rest of your days like that? See, you gotta work on your vocabulary. You gotta work on your thinking. You gotta work on your reactions the things that gone Now, some of us, we get there eventually, right? Some of us, we kind of get there. I'm encouraging you to start there, that this is the message of the loaves, and he wants you and me to get it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us today. I am so impacted by this lesson, and I pray that you would help us to apply it uh, to our life. We give you praise together, and we thank you. Help us to be different when we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I closed that way was, um, would, you, would you be okay if we had uh, a short little conversation about things related to church, okay? So I'm going to talk to you about one thing. I'm going to take the offering, and now I'm going to talk to you about one other issue with a, with a couple of people. So 10 or 12 minutes, okay? Here, here's the first thing. First, I talked to you about passion play. So we got that out of the way. We celebrated that. Okay, this issue is about um, uh, some building and property needs that we have that I need to talk to you about. So um, first of all, I, let, me, let me clarify a couple of things. First, we have a very detailed budgeting and accountability process here. Uh, everything is broken down into budget priorities and um, and how we break down our income. Do you know that income here is based on faith? You know, every week, every month, every year. You know, we, uh, we have no guarantee of what is going to come in. We just have faith that God is going to do it. Kind of fits what I've been talking about here today. And we have a very detailed... Once in a while, some people will say to me, well, why don't we have big planning meetings and business meetings and talk about all the finances of the church. Well, the main reason is we're not structured like that uh, because half the time, all you want to do is argue about it, right? So just, uh, um, uh, so what we do, we have, I apologize if you didn't like that, but uh, um, we have a representative form of government here where we elect our best people. They serve on our church board and those people uh, are, are, um, given the, the responsibility to oversee like all of our income and expenses and all that. Some of them are sitting in the room. here. They know what we work on week after week and, and month after month. Um, our staff leads our church from the standpoint of, of vision and direction. And then our board gives accountability to our time and our work and our money. Now, if you're, if you're on the board in here, would you just say amen for me right there? Okay. You heard a few of them. Okay. So how do we break that down is that we have general operating, which is how we, how we fund what we do. We have faith promise, which we had a few weeks ago, which is missions. And then we have building fund because we got all these campuses, right? (laughs) You know, we got this building that we have to take care of that we are so blessed to have. We have a summit property and a South side property and trying to take care of those things. Now, every year we plan, I kind of start it, and I work on it, and I gather other people, other committees, and all that, and we kind of figure out what has to happen at this building. Did you know that this building does not take care of itself? It's like crazy how that works, but it's kind of like your house, you know, and you got to plan for it and prepare uh, for how are we going to take care of the things at all these different properties. And we do that and we prepare. And so uh, this year, as we were getting to the spring, you know, we're planning, we're having our meetings. And so we have some things that we need to to get accomplished. You know, we've started out at about $30,000 and then probably we're going to end up about $50,000 in projects Well, we're absolutely committed to paying cash. Uh, for all that, so we've been raising our money, and I told the board we have money to do it. We, you know, we got we got fi- this fifty thousand. We have more than that, but we could, you know, we could we got this money set aside uh, for these projects. And then a few weeks ago, it rained like the Dickens. You remember that day? It was just pouring rain Sunday morning, and we just about flooded the gym. And I realized that the gym is in trouble. Uh, so. Uh, the gym roof is leaking terribly. It's mess- We remodeled the upstairs for a, a new part of our youth ministry there, and now all that stuff is, is going to be getting messed up. And the siding on, the, on that building there, the screws are basically coming out, and we've been band-aiding that thing for a long time. So buildings and grounds, and then the church board said, we got to fix that. You know what went to the top priority on the list? That gym. What are we going to do about that? Can't let it fall apart. Can't let it just be leaking all the time. You know, we have to take care of the things that God has given us. Amen. And not just that. I mean, everything that we do, Uh, if you hang around me very long, you know that we work on that all the time. We take care of the things that God has given us. So what that means is that that project is going to be $55,000. So we went from 50 to 105, like overnight. Like, that one started keeping me up. I had to think about the lesson of the loaves, all right? So, um, so uh, we went back and we looked at it and uh, realized that we probably had another 20000 that we can invest in that would give us about 70000 in cash to take care of $105,000. I'm trying to work on that, um, the yardstick kind of thing. How do we measure this? Um, basically, what that means is that... Uh, I I need to raise $35,000 to fix that that building. I asked the board, what should we do? Uh, Because my initial thought was some of these other things would drop off. And then, you know, but those are priorities too. When, you know, I I don't want all these other things to cause other problems as well. So I got to figure out how to do it. So you know what they asked me to do? Come and tell you. Which means it's up to me to let you know about what's happening. And I'm being absolutely transparent about what we need to do. So I'm trying to raise $35,000 in the next month or two, maybe even quicker than that. Uh, You know, we're going to fix it either way, right? That 105 has to be taken care of, and so we're going to do it. You know what happens if we don't have it in those other categories that we need? If we don't raise it, means that we take it out of other ministry areas, so we lessen the kingdom impact that we could have in those areas because we have to take care of that. Am I making good sense to you? All right? You with me? You hadn't, you hadn't bolted out yet, so that's good. Um, so I'm asking you uh, to help me do that. You know, we could raise $35,000 uh, if 100 people gave $350. That's pretty good. Now, that, if you can't give $350, everything matters, right? Little as much when God is in it but the combination of doing that together. So, uh, so me and Kim, we're giving the first two. So I have a check for $700 uh, to help us do that. Uh, do you think we can accomplish this? Okay, I want you to think about it, pray about it. Um, on, we're getting ready to take our offering, and I'm not trying to raise the 35 right now. I want you, but we're going to get it. I know God is going to help us to do it. I believe that. Uh, I know that this is a neat, you know, I did everything I could to prepare us for where we needed to be, and then this happened. That happens at your house, right? You remember those tires you had to buy? Yeah, you don't, we don't always plan for all these different things, and that's the way it is in the church here, and so that's what we're trying to accomplish. So um, we're going to take our, on the card that you have, you already filled out one side of that, there's information about Uh, a variety of things there, ways that you can respond to the service today. I hope that you will. I give all that I have to Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're willing to join me uh, in raising these funds there's a little blank there. Uh, maybe you're just going to pray about it for a week or so. Uh, but I'm thinking that over the next month or two months, maybe at least the, uh, through May and June, that we would raise this 35000 so we can fix this, this building. We already measured it, already got the exact kind of pricing so that I knew what I was talking about today. So it's not just hopeful. Uh, we're, we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to order the stuff and fix it and do all these other things that are there. So uh, I just want you... Uh, would you help me uh, as we pray about it? So our ushers are going to come and um, you can fill out that card, drop it in the offering basket there, uh, and just, just decide how you'd like to help us there. Can we pray about this just a second? Lord, thank you for what you've taught us today. I had in no intentions of this particular sermon fitting this particular need today, but that's how you work. And Lord, I thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. And I thank you for $35,000 that you're going to thank you for the 70 that we already have. Praise God that you helped us to save $70,000 so that we could take care of these needs. And now you're testing us. (laughs) You wanted to see what we would do when we couldn't have it all figured out myself. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the test. And I trust you now that you're going to provide exactly what is needed for your church you know how much we care about kingdom work. Look at the passion play, all that we're trying to do here. We need your help, and we thank you in advance for how you're going to help us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said together. Amen. Amen.